becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you want to be real. Oh, I'm I'm fuck withable. I am not totally uh, constituted. Well, maybe we just need to cheers and constitute ourselves. Cheers to the shores. To the shores. Mm. <clears throat> what a world we live in. I know. In a world, <laughs> what a life. This week's kicking my ass, dude. Yeah, it's kicking your ass in a lot of ways. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're you're getting your ass kicked <laughs> yeah, for, sure. for sure. Yeah. Um, I kind of just want to throw out a bunch of stuff. Throw it out. I mean, <clears throat> why the hell not? All right. So Matt and I were talking before the podcast, and we have a lot of stuff, just half thoughts, you know. And, and so we thought about, like, you know, we would like to have done more research in some of these areas, but then at the same time, I don't think we all, we don't really know. Uh, sometimes we think we know that we know, you know. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. There's some things like with, you know, you know, Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, China, U S and Russia with dollar, with the dollar and oil. Um, you know, just the whole idea of, COVID is now over officially since Biden has said it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as official as it's going to get, I think right? So, yeah. And like we kind of want to talk about that, but also tired. Just tired of talking about COVID. <laughs> we'll probably talk about it. We got permission anyways. not to talk about it anymore. Uh, um, Austin school districts are lifting their mask mandates. Mm-hmm. That seemed like the kind of final official move. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like that. What else? What else is going on? Oh, I don't know. I think the, well, let's just start with the Russia, Ukraine thing. All that's right. kind of, that's kind of interesting. Um, we got a thought. Well, I was just going to say, you know, you said that we had talked about wishing that we had, or would approach these kinds of subjects from a place of more like being well-researched. And I actually think <clears throat> that there's value in not being well-researched in it Mm -hmm. because most people aren't. And I think that we need to raise questions and have discussions from a place of semi-ignorance. Yeah. Which would be classified as misinformation. Misinformation. Right. (laughs) So we're terrorists now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but we need, I think we need that. Yeah. I think it's important. Well, it's true. I mean, so again, it's, it's weird. I have, I have no justification for this. Uh, but I see in myself, like I'm rooting for Ukraine, you know, against the evil empire of Russia. You know, there's, there's something in me that just kind of like naturally tends to that sort of disposition. Um, you know, but I don't know who the Ukraine, I don't know who they are. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of really lovely people there, but I just, I don't know their, their history, their, their politics. Um, you know, what, what, what makes them, what makes them tick? You know, I know, yeah. uh, Russia's, um, uh, pipelines run through the Ukraine, Ukraine's as the, as the, um, uh, bread basket of, uh, I guess, Russia or whatever. Uh, I, I think I know a little bit more than, uh, <laughs> than Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but I think honestly, it's like, it's like the way Kamala Harris, like the way she said it, you know, like 
there's this country, Ukraine, and there's this big country, Russia, and that big country is invading the Ukraine. And, and that's not okay. And that's not okay. And I was like, end of comment. <laughs> that's kind of basically our understanding, most people's understanding mm. of what's happening. I mean, oh, that's interesting. Because I was thinking there's a couple clips from Kamala that came out over the last week that I watched and I just thought, I can't believe they let her talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? They don't, actually. They don't. <laughs> Yeah, she like what was the other one? She said that she was she had gone off script. Did you uh, see that oh, one? Oh yeah, I saw that one too. Just bewilderingly dumb, mm-hmm. essentially, the thing that she said. And I thought, I can't believe they keep letting her go out and say things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, at, like as a as an institution, as a party that she represents, I can't believe somebody's not like, hey, you just need to sit this one out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, then it's occurring to me now that like, well, maybe it is that. Because it's felt to me like this whole Russian-Ukraine situation has been this very snap-to-grid, like, snap-into-place narrative that's so weird to me because almost no one knows anything about Ukraine Mm -hmm. until yesterday, until everyone's standing with them, Mm -hmm. you know, or Russia. And I thought it's so strange, like, immediate alignment against Russia to the extent that, like, there's a restaurant here in Austin called Russian House. Mm. And they went and took the word Russian off of the sign on their building really yeah and i thought well that's dumb yeah it's like it wasn't called putin house you know (laughs) or ussr house Uh it's like russia is a place that has many reasons to celebrate Mm -hmm. and a place that's named after russia has many reasons to do that have have nothing to do with whatever's going on with russia and ukraine so Mm this very snap into place narrative. And, and maybe that's the point. I mean, maybe what Kamala said, Ukraine's a small country. Russia's a big country. The big country's invading the small country. And basically that's not good. Mm-hmm. I think that's word for word what that's she said. Basically. Yeah. And maybe that simplicity is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like we're just supposed to think about it in these broad strokes. Mm-hmm. And that's the desired, the desired um, outcome. <clears throat> or even the question that would mean like you're pro Russia. It's like, no, there's plenty of reasons to, to, to be, uh, be very wary of Russia, you know, Mm -hmm. but I guess just over the last two years, I've just been, become so much more wary of whenever a narrative is so, um, accepted and sort of propagated that I'm kind of like, wait, okay, wait a minute. What's, what's going on here? And uh, I think Tulsi Gabbard's breakdown of, um, the Ukraine, um, some of the political side of it. Again, we're not talking about the people of Ukraine or the people of Russia. Like that's not as in, as in every country, there's a lot of really great people and you know, there's some shitty people too, you know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but she did have like a kind of a breakdown. Uh, and we'll, we'll put that in the, in the notes uh, of some of the, the, some aspects of the Ukrainian government. Um, and that was when I, when I watched, it, I was like, Oh, is that, is that true? Is that what? Is this kind of like another, again, we've, we've kind of seen with, with the U.S. with We supported Afghanistan against Russia, almost kind of for the same reasons. And not that those two countries are the same, um, Ukraine and Afghanistan, but it's like, what, what, I don't know. I'm just really confused. And then the whole uh, uh, SOTUS, the State of the Union thing, you know, Biden said he was behind or the U.S. were behind the Ukrainian people we're not going to do anything about it. But if Russia comes too far into, I guess, uh, you know, goes, runs through the Ukraine, then we're going to really care about it. Hmm. 
And I, I felt like that. I mean, I, I can kind of get it. I, I, I can kind of me understand maybe politics or military or, or some sort of agreements. And there's all these complex things that are going on. But I, I kind of felt it's just kind of like, oh, then then you're getting the hot house. You I know? mean, it is kind of strange because that position is like, well, Russia's crossed a line, mm-hmm. but not the line. Yeah. So, like, if they, if they cross the line, then, you know, we're going to do something about it. But for now, it's like, we're going to stand behind Russia, but also not like we would stand behind the countries, or sorry, stand behind Ukraine, but not the countries around Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So, where's the line? Like, why, why this posture of wait and see? Well, he, he did kind of draw the line at Ukraine. Like, I mean, if, if Russia were to go past Ukraine... Right, but why there? Why not in Ukraine? I, mean, I thought we're all standing behind Ukraine. We are behind the border. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally behind. Uh, I was really thinking about it. Like, whenever, like, I was watching the ambassador's face, and I was just like, I wonder what she's thinking. Like, here the president of the United States is saying, hey, we're not going to help you, but we stand with you. And I was like, that's such a weird, like, hey, Matt, I really want to, I'm going to help you out here. I'm, I'm, I stand with you. I'm like, behind you. I'm behind you. You're doing great up there. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be like, man, you're kind of a dick friend, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, I kind of need your help right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 so I was just kind of wondering what the, as, cause they kept referencing the ambassador that was sitting by the, the first lady. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. In my mind, it's just, I could just see like, why don't you fucking stand up with us then? You know, <laughs> not just stand by us. <laughs> well, and the last time Ukraine was in the news, it was during the impeachment of Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. Whatever was going on with that. Mm-hmm. Biden was involved in that. Mm-hmm. So it definitely seems like there's things going... There's an, there's an importance to Ukraine, obviously, to Russia. Mm-hmm. There also seems to be some hidden importance to Ukraine to the... What's the word? The elite class or the deep state or the establishment, establishment government. Mm-hmm. Whatever encapsulates both of those parties, there's clearly some some incentive beyond, you know, what's obvious on the outside, Mm -hmm. which makes, and I guess my supporting evidence for that is like this snap to grid narrative is really convenient to get everybody thinking about it in one particular way. Mm -hmm. Well, honestly, it's hard to think of it any other way, you Mm -hmm. know, like Russia should just, there's no reason why Russia couldn't shouldn't just like run over the Ukraine. Like well, that's, I, what's, that's what I don't understand. I don't understand that either. Not that I want that to happen, but just as a, as a superpower, you just want to like try to list out things that are confusing about this situation. Yeah. Because well, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Cause Russia is supposed to be some kind of superpower mm-hmm. and they, they have the second most amount of nukes in the world. Second to the United States. Mm-hmm. And yet they're having a hard time fighting the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians seem to be mostly, uh, the army seems to be mostly constituted of civilians, civilians who have just picked up guns for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing like all these images of what was that image of Miss Ukraine holding an airsoft rifle? Hmm. Did you see that? Mm-mm. Yeah. She was like holding a rifle like, Oh, Miss Ukraine is even picking up a gun and fighting. And somebody pointed out that it was an airsoft rifle and it kind of obviously was. Oh no! It's like, what, this is weird. What is going on? And, and we're supposed to believe that Russia is having a hard time. Yeah. I mean, either, either that or, I mean, so, so let me think of like a, a favorable interpretation of this is like, well, I have heard this as like Russia did think it would be easy to just, uh, 
you know, kind of come in there and just kind of take over almost peacefully, like they'd be almost welcomed into the Ukraine by the Ukrainian people, which that doesn't really, that doesn't make sense to me, but I've have, I've heard that interpretation. Right. Again, that's what we're being told. Yeah. But I'm like, Putin's not a dumb person. He's a pretty smart guy. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of surprising that he would make that big of a miscalculation of the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be kind of funny. If, if, if any of you guys have uh, any, uh, I mean, we kind of do a lot of research around these things and obviously, you know, Twitter and, and, you know, read different articles and stuff, but somebody's losing their mind right now. You're getting your information from Twitter. <laughs> I know. Well, there's, I mean, it's like, you kind of get like, you can kind of, people like will put post articles from both sides and yeah. different perspectives. And I mean, as long as you kind of have a, an array of people you follow, not just one, <laughs> one type, you know, you kind of get a hodgepodge of things. And, yeah. Um, but if there's anything that, that we should read or, or maybe help us better understand this topic, I would definitely love for you to, to send that to us. Cause well, I'm, really, I'm really miffed by it. it, it yeah. Make, I mean, there's, there's so much of this makes sense. Some, something feels similar to me though. Mm-hmm. Like this has become a theme. I think I've felt very confused by all of the sort of popular, um, popular movements of the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. There was the COVID thing seemed very confusing, mm-hmm. not confusing. Like it was hard to understand so much as confusing. Like, I feel like what you're telling me isn't what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to keep me from asking what's actually happening. Yeah. There was the COVID thing. And then there was the black lives, matter. black lives matter thing. Yeah, like, what is it? Who, who's like, what, where's, is there a difference between the different groups that are, you know, <clears throat> right. It was just really confusing. You couldn't question as long as you had the black lives matter thing that you couldn't question like, well, are you, because there was a lot of different factions within that. Mm-hmm. And then there was the election of 2020. Mm-hmm. Trump and Biden, yeah. all the narratives around that mm-hmm. Biden's laptop or, or Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, <laughs> have we concluded whether, uh, Trump is, was a Russian <laughs> asset yet? <laughs> you know, like, there's yeah. all these things. They're just sort of like, there, there's nothing concluded. Right. At least in the public narrative, in the public narrative. Yeah. yeah. And then now this narrative feels very similar mm-hmm. in sort of like color and shape. Yeah. Like, okay, this feels like another thing that I'm being told in order in order that, and I don't know what's on the other side of that sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's really frustrating. I think Brett Weinstein put this out there uh, on Twitter was just sort of like, we kind of need like, let's take the COVID thing. Okay. What did we learn from this? What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Like, is, is there any way we can be like somewhat rational or, or, I mean, more, more importantly, so that if, and when, or whatever, this type of thing happens again, we can maybe have like a, a learn from our mistakes. Right. Cause it's not that all that we did was perfect. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Trump did some good things. Trump did some bad things. Biden's done some good things. Biden's done some, done some bad things, you know, yeah. Fauci too. I don't, again, I just don't know, but have you even heard from Fauci in like months? He's kind of disappeared. It seems like, yeah. Or was he disappeared? Or was he disappeared? <laughs> or even like one of the biggest stories. I mean, again, there's just, there's so many of these things. And I don't know if, uh, you know, the whole, um, 
Jeffrey Epstein, you know, like, Oh, that's a big and one. Maxine. What's her name? Gislaine Maxwell. Gislaine. <laughs> that's like her. And that's her name. Wow. Or Gislaine. Gislaine. Either way. It sounds funny. The Gislaine. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that was just swept under the rug. It's like, that is probably the biggest oh. scandal. If we want to have like, yeah. And, and another stuff. person who was put in jail associated with that was found suicided Suicide. a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> weeks ago in the same style as Epstein. And that just goes unnoticed. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, uh, allocations that are around Epstein with all the major political leads, man, we're starting to sound like uh, what's his name? Uh, Alex Jones, Alex Jones. <laughs> but it's weird. It's like, I have, there's, there's so many like hanging questions out there and it's yeah. like, we're not very interested in sort of getting to the bottom of that, but mm-hmm. this is, these kind of things affect our, these are our political leaders, our, you know, supposed leaders that are, I don't know, supposed to kind of guide us through this. I mean, it's the same thing with the media. The media is supposed to help us and guide us through all this information. But then you have like a Brian Stelzer saying how awesome he is and how horrible Joe Rogan is. And you're like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you just said. Yeah. You got, you got, you got staff. Okay. You got staff. <laughs> That's great. He's got desks. I got a desk. Brian Stelter's got a desk. <laughs> Uh, Russell Brand is a great uh, imitation of uh, <laughs> Stelzer on that one. Plus, I don't even know if I ever sell, say his name correctly. <laughs> Brian Stelter. Stelter. Okay. I don't think there's a Z in there. I want to, I, Stelzer. I, like a like Stelzer water? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, made with real Stelzer sweat. <laughs> I think this podcast is going down the drain. Fast. It is going down the drain fast. Yeah. Uh, well, I, oh, good. I'm definitely not at my best tonight. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that was, that was kind of the, the the spirit of where you or I before this is just we just feel like we have so many questions and to yeah. talk about a lot of the things that are going on right now in the world. It's it's really confusing. So I can I have sympathy for like my friends on the left and my friends on the right. You know, it's like. Like on Tuesday, I went to go vote for the, in the, to go vote. And you had to pick whether was, you were going as a, as a Democrat or a Republican. And I walked away. I was like, well, I'm not a Democrat. And I'm not a Republican. You didn't vote. I didn't vote. Can you not say independent? No. Huh? Well, that was so frustrating. Cause like, there's some people on the left and there's some people on the right that I'd like to like vote in the primary for. Yeah. You can't. Can I be on the right and vote for somebody on the left? Yeah. Or can I be on the left and vote for somebody on the right? You can't. And can't. so it was really frustrating. I was just sort of like, I was kind of dumbfounded. I was like, part of me was like, just pick one side and do the votes that you want to vote for. I feel like we went through this around uh, two years ago, though. Mm. The primaries, you have to pick a side and vote. And then mm. once you get to the, the actual, well, I was going to say the primary election, but mm-hmm. this is the primaries. The yeah. actual one is the ultimate <laughs> i don't know <laughs> ultimate then, fighting i think then you can vote for whoever you want to yeah like we're voting for who's going to be running mm-hmm. essentially but if you like somebody like uh like you like a, a judge that happens to be a democrat and you want to you want to make sure that person wins that to the, the, that nominee yeah or if you like the governor and you want to vote for the governor you know it's like uh, you know again whoever it is that you have yeah it is kind of frustrating so I, I just, I was like, oh, and I just walked away. I was like, yeah, it's kind of uh, baffling. Well, 
maybe one thing we could try to try to pick away at is this something comes to mind. It's like we, we have these conversations about Ukraine and narratives and mm -hmm. COVID and black lives matter and the election. And you know, we could probably rattle off 10 more things that seem bewildering. And it starts to sound very much like what we would call conspiracy theory mm, yeah. or misinformation or however you want to weaponize that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot, there's a feeling with things like this that, well, there's someone out there that knows the truth and we're being manipulated by that person. Mm -hmm. There's sort of a, when you talk like this, there's a placeholder value and like who fills that placeholder? Is it, is it the world economic forum that meets in Davos or is it the elite or is it a shadow government or is it, and this is what it sounds very, uh, conspiracy theorist. Totally. I think the, <clears throat> there is an alternative to that, which is that, because cause that, would, that would be to say, well, there are smart enough people who can use things to manipulate us. Like you look around, I was telling you earlier, I look at this Ukraine-Russia situation and then, you know, there's all these peripheral things that are happening with China and Taiwan and foreign policy is crazy. The United States seems very weak and like what, there's no reason for that. Like our military is still completely superior. Um, no reason to be posturing as weak. It feels like there's somebody playing chess with all of this, but I don't understand the rules of that game. Mm -hmm. And then you said, or it could just be that everybody's dumb, you know? <laughs> so, and I think that's an actually, that's actually a valid alternative. Mm -hmm. I think that you can arrive at this position of conspiracy theory and confusion and bewilderment. And it's actually a natural emergent result of what, of, of groups of human beings operating together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost in some instances the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, hmm. you know, and and you can try to make inferences of how the right hand, and the left hand are colluding, but they're really just operating and independently. Independently, uh, I mean, there is a zeitgeist kind of thing where maybe independent groups don't know that they're actually operating together, but they're kind of operating under a certain. Uh, zeitgeist or, or overall concept or idea that kind of is moving both, but independently and not together, you mm -hmm. know? Um, I mean, cause there's always been this sort of like the elite take care of the rest of us dumb people or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, we need to take care of them. You know, whether it be your, the church, uh, you know, you can't read and stuff like that. And they're going to take care of you and tell you what God tell God says and stuff mm -hmm. or, or, you know, our political elites or, telling, you know, like, I mean, Hillary Clinton calls a whole other side of the population <laughs> of the United States deplorables, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, I keep seeing that word kind of jump up here and there. But, oh, really? I yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah. Well, I actually know. I mean, trying to, trying to bring that one back. Yeah. No, it was actually trying just to a, remix. It, it. it was a, it was a subtweet of another tweet that was, it, it's not like uh, indicative of like a, a larger <laughs> thing. I just remember like, Talking no, don't bring that tweets. one up. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring that one up. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, but again, like, I think that's what's, what brings us together is when we do have a common narrative and, and even in some instances, a common enemy. And so like right now, I think that's something that maybe we're trying to do with Russia is kind of make them our common enemy, you know, whether it be with the United States or Europe. And there or, could be benefit to that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, having a common enemy is important. Mm-hmm. It's orienting. Yeah. And we need to be oriented. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, is like, is that, is that something that we need to orient ourselves around? You know, it's, well, maybe it's not the best thing to be oriented around, but it's mm-hmm. better than been being disoriented. Yeah. That's, uh, but that's the thing is like, that's how I kind of feel about these things. It's sort of like, you know, again, you know, we, we rally each other around the COVID, the COVID narrative, you know, in the first, you know, six months, we're all sort of like, okay, whatever we need to do, we don't, no one knows. And then after a while, we're kind of like, wait, what's going on here? Like, you know, I'm not seeing the information that justifies this, justifies that or right. should help us. And, you know, lo and behold, two years later, it's like, well, CDC has been, re, you know, keeping back a certain amount of information mm-hmm. because they thought it would infect or have an effect on we cause vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like and the people being hesitant would be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Because uh, there is that thing. Oh, Brett Weinstein talked about that. I don't know if you remember about how like informed consent, like you, like the doctor needs to tell you all the possible, you know, side effects and negative aspects of, of any sort of treatment that you're going to go under. It's like, Robert, Robert Malone was talking about that. Mm-hmm. On, uh, oh, that's what it was, Robert Malone. On uh, Robert Breedlove's podcast, mm. the What Is Money podcast. Mm-hmm. That was a really good conversation, second half of it, at least. Yeah. But he raised an interesting point about informed consent, mm-hmm. is that doctors are ethically obligated to give informed consent about everything that they do to a patient. And he said he made the point that sometimes that's really hard, because there's a certain number of people who just want to say, look, doc, I don't want to know. Just mm-hmm. tell me what's best. And that puts the doctor in an ethical dilemma. Yeah. Because they have to give informed consent, like whatever that ends up meaning. Mm-hmm. But there's some, it's a, I think there's something important to learn about that, that some of us just don't, we don't want to give informed consent. We don't want to be informed. Yeah. We just want, we just want to give blanket consent and put our well being in the hands of someone else. I feel that way with my car. Like, I will study things and want to know things in and out, but with my car, I don't give a shit. Like, just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Are you going to lie to me? Okay. Just make it sound good. Just you make know? it sound good. <laughs> I mean, basically that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. not that I, I want the person to lie to me, but I'd like to be able to trust my mechanic and them do the right thing. But mm-hmm. I just don't have the time and energy to like figure out if I need a, a piston or a, a gas or an oil change, you know? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So what does that point to? Cause I used to like growing up, my first car, um, didn't run when I got it and I spent a lot of time working on it and getting it running. And I've always worked on my own cars up until, I don't know, a few years ago and I lost the appetite for it. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel more like you, like I just, I just want it to be taken care of. And I think it's like, well, Peterson does a good job talking about this, about cars specifically. Mm-hmm. Like what is your like you think you have a car, but you don't have a car. You have a way to get from point A to point B. It's not a car until it breaks down and the full complexity of what a car is reveals itself to you. Oh, yeah, that's right. And like I've had cars in the past that I treat as cars. You know, I check in I check in under the hood, like even when it's not broken, I maintain things, I think about things and mm-hmm. it's like I think right now in my life I just need a point a place to a way to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. I don't need a car. I need that car to serve another purpose. Hmm. 
Um, and you know, maybe it's the purpose it's designed for obviously, but I need all the complexity of that and all the failure points and all of the risk associated with it to be hidden under the value of just getting from point A to point B. And so maybe there's some, some interesting tie there between that analogy and everything that's going on in the world and sort of these snap to grid narratives and these very simplistic, this versus that binary, mm-hmm. um, because it, it would be too much. Like of all the things that were are confusing over the last couple of years that we laid out, if the full picture, sort of AKA the truth of all of that were obvious, it would be too much. You wouldn't be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a short period of time, but then you'd have to simplify it back down to something that you could describe within a few words because you can't carry around all that complexity with you all the time. Totally. And that's almost where Kamala Harris's explanation is actually... Yeah, so maybe that's exactly what, well, I don't want to say what we need, Mm -hmm. but maybe there's a valid reason to present it that way. Yeah. It's almost like it's it's valid if you can then, if someone asks you about it, that you can then recount the the complexity of it. Well, the way that we see this right now is because, you know, Russia is is a nuclear power and, you know, they're wanting to take over another country that has been independent since, I think, 1994. <laughs> you know, it's been 30 years, I think, from what I understand. Uh, and, you know, you know, Russia's trying to extend their influence. And so we need to kind of, we need to stand, uh, you know, against the Ukraine, against Russia and through the, through the Ukraine. <laughs> well, uh, you know, and, and we're not, and again, it could be as an example, it's like, hey, we're not going to help them directly because we need a little bit of a buffer because this has happened fast. Maybe it has it or hasn't, you know, it's like that we kind of need a buffer. We can't just roll in there and, and take, take rush out or something like that. You know, we're, we're trying to give a little bit, but you know, it's like whatever it might be, but it's like, it, it, it's like, we're almost afraid to explain our intentions in a plain way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I am, I feel in, in the moment, as you said that, like sympathetic to the fact that foreign policy in times of war, especially is a very precarious game to play. Cause you also know, like in the best of times that there's things that the government can't tell us because if they told us, then they would, our enemies would know, Hey, mm-hmm. this is what they're going to do. It's mm-hmm. like, there's a certain amount that you, but but the thing is you have to, you have to kind of earn that respect in the down times, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like for right, you know, I think over the last, you know, shoot, I don't know how long, but that trust I think has kind of eroded. I think there's a lot more people than, um, than maybe we see in the news that are more in the center going, Hey, I don't know if I really fit in on either side right now. I mean, I've noticed that trend over the last several days since the Ukraine-Russia thing has started happening. I'm seeing more and more people say something like, whatever trust I had in institutions is completely gone and I'll never trust institutions again. Mm -hmm. Like citing COVID, citing all the things we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm done. I'm not going to trust anything you say to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny. What was the, the big push? What a year ago or something like people who do their own research. Like the meme was like a headstone and it said, I did my own research, mm-hmm. you know, like 
again, that doesn't have to be necessarily a malicious top-down sort of conspiracy theory. It could just be an emergence of culture itself. Mm-hmm. But that became the meme. Like, you shouldn't do your own research. That's dangerous. Yeah. But the result of the lack of trust is that I see an increasing number of people like, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. I'm going to look for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to what you say, but I'm going to then find somebody else that disagrees with you. Right. <laughs> and I want to see how they present it. I mean, I find it because like, again, I found myself being like, yeah, Ukraine, man. And then I, I saw what Tulsi Gabbard talked about, you know, and, and then I was kind of like, okay, well maybe it's a little bit more confusing than that. It's like, you know, like why aren't we going in there and just, you know, helping the Ukrainians out? It's like, I mean, I still don't really know the answers of these, but, but it well, is, you know, it is I mean, at least complex. one answer is, you know, if we sent troops into Ukraine, mm-hmm. that whole situation would be over real quick or, or yeah, world war three would start real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a real danger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I mean, that's, you kind of have to dance on eggshells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dance, dance on eggshells. I don't know. It sounds a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make this a little more upbeat. Yeah. <laughs> a little fun. A little fun. Uh, hmm. But I think that's the hard thing because we do need institutions. I mean, institutions help us organize, you know, our, our thoughts, our mm-hmm. ideas, our, how we act in the world. And even though institutions can be somewhat cumbersome and um, inefficient in a lot of ways, they also provide sort of guidelines and standards. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something we saw with like, you know, there's a lot of things with the psychology um Oh shoot! What's it called? Like the the Board of Psychology of the United States. You know, there was a lot of things that they came up with over the last couple of years that you're like, what? What? What are you? You're talking about the APA? Yeah, the APA. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and again, I'm, I'm forgetting specifics, but again, it's just another one of those things that you know we need our institutions to be able to stand outside of politics in mm-hmm. some regards. And to be no, able they've to, been captured. Yeah, they've drawn sort of the woke line on things like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and uh, gender mm-hmm. which is like it isn't helpful yeah we don't need them to say the activist lines mm-hmm. we need them to be well trustworthy and unbiased and and anti-political yeah yeah even with the gender thing it's like you know some people did have transitioned in an early age and it was not a good thing and some people did and then and it was a good thing, you know, and, and, but you can't really like that. And that topic specifically is you can't talk about the ones that did not have a good experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, those are, those are all data points that help us and communicate again. You know, a physician needs to state to their patient, like all the things that, how this could not, how this could go wrong. In fact, that's almost more important than how it could go right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we've all seen the commercials where we like, you know, Viagra, it's going to help your sex life, but it also might kill you and give you a heart attack and you know, yeah. your balls may shrivel. If you have an <laughs> erection for longer than eight hours, see a doctor. See a doctor. <laughs> you know, it's like we kind of grew up with like, it's like, um, <laughs> yeah. If you're interested, research that, that last uh, Viagra warning and why that warning exists because it's gnarly. Now I'm curious. I don't know that. Is it enough to, to, for you to account now, or is that more? Uh, like a, just that. Is that more of a D Y O R? Yeah, D Y O R on prolonged directions. 
I'll just say there's a spider whose method of killing you is to give you a prolonged direction. Are you serious? Yep. Just like, I mean, animals in general, like, I don't know if it's targeted specifically for humans. I'm just saying you don't want it and you can go find out why. <laughs> Man, that's such a teaser. I think that's the yeah. name of our, um, name of this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> prolonged directions. Spider. Spider. Prolonged directions. Um, when I lost my whole train of thought. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, it makes me think well, you were talking about like, there is an incentive to not look at data. Because mm-hmm. if, if the data, if you have set up a narrative such that if you're against the narrative, that puts people in danger, a lot, in life or death danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that with the trans narrative. You saw that with the COVID narrative. You saw it with the Black Lives Matter narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very popular way to frame things because it's, in some sense, inassailable. Like, the, the second you ask a question about it, you're obviously a bad person, and most people can't stand up or don't want to stand up to yeah. an accusation that they're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody wants to be called racist or transphobic, mm-hmm. you know, or an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. And so you just hit them with that and then it's like the argument's done. Mm-hmm. But in order to, for, to keep that argument together, you have to ignore certain sets of data. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> um, I'm going to try to drive to a point with this that is yeah. worth talking about. But, you know, I remember at the beginning, you know, right after George Floyd and the narrative emerged that you know, black people are being hunted down in the street. It's a really powerful narrative. Obviously emotional. Like, obviously horrific and nobody wants this and you really you know shouldn't be asking well is that true yeah you know but if you asked if that was true and you went and looked at the data it was really hard to make that case and in a way that was evidenced by any amount of data and so you have to you have to ignore certain sets of the data in order to keep that narrative going um and I, I think where I'm trying to drive with this, it's interesting that we're, we're very incentivized to ignore data mm-hmm. in order to keep our preferred narratives uh, healthy. There's this other interesting aspect of data itself, which is that in as we have become technologically advanced and collect more and more data about our lives... So your phone in your pocket is collecting a massive amount of data on you. Mm -hmm. It's like you can make predictions about people's current mood based on how they type on their keyboard. And it's like, you might think, well, why, (laughs) how can you know how someone's typing on their keyboard? Well, your phone has an accelerometer in it. Every little wiggle of the phone in response to a thumb tap is a data point that's recorded. Mm. And so there's a whole thing in the tech industry called big data and big data is known to be a massive gold mine. Hmm. Like we have so much data that if you knew what to do with it, you could be, you know, be wildly successful, but no one knows what to do with it because hmm. it's too much. It's too much data. Um, so it's a big problem, big opportunity too. Um, but with our, it seems like our own built-in tendency to ignore data in order to support narratives. It's interesting. Like we think about data as, well, data is going to tell us something Mm -hmm. and, and what it tells us will sort of accept as true and mold ourselves around that. And it's just not how reality works. We tell a story 
and that story has data inside of it. Hmm. Yeah, because data has to be interpreted. Data in and of itself doesn't have any value. Yes, that's the hard point to make. Mm -hmm. Data has no value. The story has value. It's mm -hmm. the way that you connect the dots between pieces of data that has value. I think we've all seen like how data has been misused in, in the past. And so I can see why people would be, I, I understand the whole thing of like people saying like, you know, do your own research and then kind of laugh at them and, you know, have the whole tombstone thing because it's like, it's like, no, it's like, this is so serious that it's not worth your time. You need to trust the institution to tell you what is right and what is good because they're going to tell a story and interpret the data in a way that is beneficial for you in your life. And sometimes, and maybe even many times that's true and that's good. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that trust is just kind of eroded. It's sort of, it's not, it just comes back to, again, the, the doctor who's supposed to give you all the, the negative um, the informed consent. Yeah. yeah, there's a a number. Just y'all go go to YouTube and search "lying with statistics." Oh yeah, there's a number of videos out there that it show really <coughs> kind of terrifying examples mm -hmm. of how you can lie in a really sinister way using truth. Mm -hmm. Like, well, and I say the word truth. It's it's using data, which we sort of accept as oh, yeah. objectively true. Mm -hmm. But to your point, data doesn't have any value. Like data isn't exactly true or false. It's it's it, it lives within that within that ethic. Mm -hmm. Just like like science is nested within ethics. It's not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Science is a methodology, not a not not a not a value system. Not a value system. Yeah, yeah. Science can't make any judgments. Mm -mm. Science can't determine what's good or bad. Well, again, I think that's why when we kind of come back to the government or the political side of this is, is like, it makes more sense, like why you need that push and pull and that, that the encouragement of the push and pull, you know, these vaccines are the best thing ever and are, are perfect in all ways. And the other person's like, no, they're death. They'll kill you, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and being able to kind of see the arguments from both sides and, and kind of come up with, uh, your own interpretation and understanding of that. It's like, we actually do need to do that as people. It's like kids, you know, it's like they have to, when they're young, you pretty much are a dictator, to, you know? And then as they get older, it's, you kind of have to allow them to spread their wings and make mistakes. And <laughs> Wait, did you say kids are dictators? No, no we're, di well, oh, we're dictators. Maybe it's the other way Toddlers around. seem kind of like dictators. <laughs> but I, I think parents act, are, are, are act more as dictators when they're, when kids are little mm -hmm. and as they grow, True. you kind of have to like become more democratic and then maybe even libertarian by the time they're 18, you know, <laughs> I would say you go from like dictatorship to communist mm. to democracy to libertarian mm. to uh what's michael malice anarchist anarchist <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad that's not a bad progression as a family structure it's a family structure yeah, yeah. that's interesting but I, I think again it's like the democratic part of it i think covers us as a nation 
because it kind of allows the anarchy as well as the dictatorial aspects to coexist in one space and it's messy, but you kind of need that, that messiness. And I think that, that again, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've always loved that. I forgot who, who said that. It's probably Jefferson or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, cause like the anarchists, it's like, you can't get rid of the institutions. You can't get rid of the hierarchy because then you'll just have chaos. And as much as that sounds great, hmm. you know, you're, you're also depending on your fellow man to act in a way that right. <laughs> maybe your form of anarchy <laughs> works best. You know, hmm. it's like, no, my form of anarchy works really well. Yours doesn't. So I'm going to kill you or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, then that's a certain amount of order. Mm-hmm. One anarchy beats out another one. You've now ordered the anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> We're such contradictions. <laughs> that's so true. Oh, wow. It reminds me of the, it's like the Greek root of the word decision means to slay. Mm-hmm. It isn't to choose between two things. It's to kill one thing such that there's only one left. Yeah. So you you don't have an option anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, what is the way forward? Like, where do we, where do we go from here? I, I, I feel like with the, with all the confusion, cause I, again, I find hope in, you know, discussions like you and I have, I, I enjoy that. We're not experts on pretty much anything, but we like Arm, to ask armchair questions. Experts. We're armchair experts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we like to ask the questions and we we're curious. I won't, you know? be, as, I won't pretend to be as charming as Dax Shepard, but no. yeah, I haven't listened to him in a long time. I know me I'll too. Have to go back and <clears throat> that's a great, uh, what were you saying about curiosity? Well, it's just like, I mean, we're curious about like how the world works and you know, we recognize that there are experts in certain fields mm-hmm. and even those experts somewhat, um, like their expertise is not with, I think of Brett Weinstein in this, in this, he gets a lot of flack for him kind of sticking his head into other areas that he's not an expert air quotes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, is like when you are an expert, you also start to look at other aspects of life and you start to kind of like bring them together and see how they fit together. And so it's not like if you're a, you know, uh, evolutionary biologists, like you, it's not that they don't know anything about microbiology or something like that. Mm-hmm. And some people have this idea that, Oh, you're an evolutionary biologist, not a microbiologist. It's like, well, actually they share a lot, a lot that overlaps, yeah. <laughs> a lot that overlaps. And so you can comment and, and discover things, mm-hmm. uh, that might not be your PhD or, you know, certified, uh, you're certified in that subject or something, but, mm-hmm. Uh, even you and I, it's like, we kind of have different things that we jump into and it might know more than a lot of people in certain areas and, and almost nothing in other areas. Yeah. Which just reminds me of the conversation we had, I guess, last week about freedom and safety. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're going to position yourself in your life or, or suggest that culture and society and a nation be structured such that there are such things as experts and they should not be questioned Mm -hmm. by people who are not qualified to question them or to stick their head in or to comment or whatever. Yeah. Well, then you are, you are suggesting that we live in a totalitarian system Mm. in which 
your life is dictated to you by people that you can't question, which is anti-democratic. I mean, the entire point of democracy is we get to question the competence of the experts. And mm -hmm. we do that with our vote. And the idea that the vote matters. I mean, there was big discussion, um, <clears throat> I think, in England with, like, in the days of John Locke and all of that. Like, there was a lot of people who believe fully that there are people who should not be allowed to vote mm -hmm. because they're not well-informed, they're not smart, they're not competent. And you can make, a, I think, a very strong argument for that. Totally. But what, what won out in the end is that, no, everybody gets to vote. Mm-hmm. And that's important because you should be able to question. Totally. Even from a place of incompetence. Well, because how else do you become competent? Totally. Competence isn't handed to you from an expert. Mm -hmm. you, you, you gain it through questioning, through, through in, encountering, through failing. And it also makes our experts better. Like, uh, like right now I'm running through uh, something with a friend of mine. Uh, he's starting a new business. And he knows it really well. Well, I'm kind of the ignorant person. And so I ask a lot of questions and, and make some suppositions that, you know, like, you know, that kind of challenge what he's, what he's thinking about. But it, what the thing is, is like why he has me in the room is because it makes him better explain to somebody who mm -hmm. doesn't understand the business that he's starting. And so it's helpful for him, for me to question him and to challenge him on the assumptions that he's making in order for him to be able to better explain to more people and to get, and maybe even make the business even better because it, it's more understandable. Right. So actually questioning is, is a, a helpful thing and doing your own research and challenging these things is helpful. Well, that's a really good point. If someone is an expert, how do they become an expert? Mm -hmm. Like how are we supposed to um, acquiesce to someone and say, well, they're an expert. Yeah. Is it that, that they, that they have a certain credential that they're bequeathed with hmm. the title. It's like, I think, no, it's more like if you're an expert, convince me. Yeah. There you go. And if I'm convinced that's proof that you're an expert. Mm -hmm. If you have to strong arm me into doing what you want and say, it's for your best because I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. Well, you're proving to me you're not an expert hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. Your expertise is validated through your ability to convince me that you're an expert, mm -hmm. at least in part. I think so. I mean, I can see the pushback on that as far as like, you know, some people are just will not be convinced of anything, no matter how. Right. And some people are persuasive mm -hmm. and manipulatively persuasive. Totally. Yeah. Which doesn't validate their expertise. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's nuance in everything. Totally. Well, I think that's the part is like, but we need to be able to the challenge in these areas that those that are truly experts will sort of rise to the top. Um, I said about to go to everybody gets a ribbon, you know, it's like just because you have a PhD does not mean you're an expert. I think that's something that just cause you get the ribbon doesn't mean you're a winner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even, even as there's, there's people that are really good at research and horrible about explaining things to people, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, and again, I think that's maybe how Fauci kind of has grown, has, has become so prominent is that he is more of a explainer than he is a researcher. I, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but, but he's definitely more in the public eye and, and a communicator. Mm -hmm. 
but in a lot of people's eyes, he's kind of lost a lot of credibility. Yeah. And has, I not, mean, has not come to terms with it either. You know, I think that's the thing is like, Hey, no, I got it wrong. Or yeah. And for these reasons. Yeah. It's interesting because you could make the same case about like Steve jobs, for example, mm-hmm. like Steve jobs, wasn't an engineer mm. or a designer mm-hmm. and ran a design engineering company basically, yeah. but he was really good mm-hmm. at explaining things and telling the story in a way that made sense to people and brought all and those was compelling. intricate parts together to be able to communicate together. Right, right. It's like, you can be a great engineer or you can be a great designer, but that doesn't come up with the iPhone. It's like, you need somebody to be able to communicate and bring those ideas together. Oh, that's great. Because whatever you can engineer and whatever you can design is in some sense, just a data point. Mm. You have to use those things to tell a story that's compelling. It's like, why does it matter? For example, that you could have a screen that you could manipulate with your finger. Mm. You know, I remember before the first iPhone came out, there was a lot of emerging tech around touch screens. Mm-hmm. We, you know, touch screens have been around for a long time, but they were really shitty. Yeah very laggy. There was like an obvious gap between where your finger touched and the pixels that were rendered behind it. And there was a lot of like very fringe tech sort of showing examples of how this could be different. And all of a sudden the iPhone came out, comes out. It's like, it's one thing to imagine the technology for a touch screen. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to make that meaningful to people mm. and not just meaningful to people, meaningful to everyone in a way that invents a new category that everyone wants to buy into. Mm-hmm at a price that was previously unimaginable <laughs> for the closest category that you can compare it to, which was a phone, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are 15 years later and you don't even think about phones anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't carry a phone in your pocket. Like yeah. the only, the only similarity to the phones that we used in 2006 to the phones we have in our pocket now is that the word phone still exists in the title. Everything else is different. Yeah, you can almost say like uh, texting and uh, making an actual phone call. But who makes a phone call? Yeah, that's my point. People don't even make phone calls. Yeah. Well, that's not true. We do. Mm-hmm. It just serves a much different purpose. Yeah. But again, just the idea of, of but the communication of it is, is almost like it's almost shown in the acceptance so like Steve Jobs was able to bring these different concepts together and, and marry them that independently were somewhat arbitrary, but in the way that he brought them together to communicate, you saw the proliferation of that idea. And I think that's what we're missing right now is like a lot of, a lot of our leaders right now are making connections that don't, don't connect. It's like, you know, we stand with Ukraine, but we're not going to be with them, but we're not actually, we're not actually, but no, really, mm-hmm. but not actually exactly. Like, uh, you know, Taiwan and, and China, you know, it's like, like we don't, we don't know exactly. Are we going to protect Taiwan from China or is this, are we just positioning? You know, it's like, but then you have this overarching thing as far as like, you know, nuclear war or world war three or whatever it might be. It's like, it's like, we don't have people like, projecting or, or casting that vision of, of how these things connect and how we should move forward. We should talk about the nuclear war thing for a second. Okay. Because you asked me this question earlier today mm-hmm. and I was a little bit shocked at my response to it. Oh yeah. Your okay. question was, 
do you think people care about nuclear war? Yeah. That's a scary question to ask. I don't think people do. I don't see people taking that. I don't see a lot of evidence that people do. And I don't know if I do either, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I tend to, I tend to see a lot of posturing Mm -hmm. and not that. And again, and not that it could be. And again, I don't know. Maybe that's something that's, I mean, have we all forgotten the horrors of Hiroshima? Yeah. Hiroshima or even like the cold war, whenever, yeah. We were like with JFK, it was like just people were installing away, bomb Cuban. shelters in their mm-hmm. backyards. And you know, I, I was thinking about that after you asked me and like, if, if, um, I, I guess there's some evidence that Russia is using thermobaric, uh, weapons against Ukraine right now, which mm-hmm. is basically bombs that explode in the atmosphere and use the massive amount of oxygen in the air to create a super intense, heat explosion. Hmm. And I saw, I think it was Eric Weinstein said, basically there are not many steps between thermobaric and thermonuclear. Hmm. And so I was thinking thought experiment, like if Russia were to nuke Ukraine, Mm -hmm. what do you think the response would be? Just, I don't mean of our government. I mean the response of people like, would we be terrified of that? Like properly terrified of that? Because we should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are enough nukes in the world to make the human and probably every other species extinct. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> That's a hard one. I, again, I'm going to give a cold answer here. I think most people will just, will want to just say, okay, just that once. It won't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. But it was already just that once. Uh-huh. Oh man. We're just behaving like teenagers, aren't we? Yeah. Just like, this once. Oh, too bad. Ukraine. It's like, well, what the fuck? Like that was horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I could see, I could see a, a global response. I mean, obviously you probably have the posturing around it. Well, because I mean, the threat is, is that that would, that would escalate out of that space. You know, it's like if, if we can keep it, condensed to the Ukraine, then, and it didn't, it doesn't proliferate outside of that. Then it's like, okay, that we kind of sidestep something that could have been a lot bigger. If, 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 if people would have, or nations or whatever would have stepped up or something like that. And I, I know that's a really cold and, sh- and, but I think that's how a lot of people would react. I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a really difficult one. I'm, I'm kind of torn and cause you just don't know like what the ramifications of, you know, if someone's crazy and is going to do something like that, you know, do you, do you just, well, the, the genie has been kept in the bottle mm-hmm. for 77 years, 77 years. Damn. And so maybe that's long enough that we've forgotten what that genie is. Uh, true. And I, I, I think we should care about the fact that maybe we've forgotten about it because I don't think it would be just once hmm. because it's like that was a just once in 1945 because mm-hmm. it was so horrific that we were all stunned out of it. It's like, yeah. holy shit, we don't want to touch that again. Like nobody wants to touch that again. Mm-hmm. If 
if nuclear warheads were used now, there would have to be some escalation. Mm-hmm. It seems like. like it does seem that way. You know, mm-hmm. Russia uses a nuke. We've got, someone's got to retaliate mm-hmm. and there's no way to retaliate without escalation. Mm-hmm. And so that genie's back out of the bottle and it's not a just once. Yeah. And that's not just going to be stunning. It's going to be catastrophic. Well, I mean, again, that's when you start getting into the uh, prisoner's dilemma, you mm-hmm. know, or the tit for tat type thing. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, hey, you did a bad thing. <laughs> Horrible. But I'm not, going to re- I'm not going to react to you in order to think that you will stop there. But if you do another nuclear, then it's like, I'm going to do it back until some, one of us gives, gives up and says like, Hey, I know you were the last one to, to send a nuke over, but we're not going to send one to you. So that's kind of like the whole tit for tat thing is right. And well, how does tit for tat stop? Well, that's the thing is like either someone dies mm-hmm. or someone learns forgiveness. Exactly. And Douglas Murray pointed out quite deftly. I think that forgiveness is not a thing we understand in our culture anymore. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. We want vengeance. We want justice. Justice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard. But again, it's like the, I think the one, the, uh, the one, so the whole bunch of these tit for tats were, um, uh, there's a bunch of different people who kind of put out these different, uh, what do you call them? Oh, shoot. Was it like a program that ran the like different ideas of how this would work out? So basically, like if you nuke me, I don't nuke you, and then you don't nuke me, then we kind of go come back into this semblance, you know. But if you nuke me and I don't nuke you, but you nuke me again, then I nuke you. So it's like that's basically a, a two tits for a tat, you know. <laughs> uh, and that was sort of like the the game theory. I think analysis that that had the best results overall. Mm-hmm. Two tits for a tat. Two tits for a tat. I don't know who doesn't like two tits. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I couldn't tell. That <laughs> no, was good. I, I kept going. <laughs> I kept every time I say it, I just giggle. Uh, you know, but again, that's that's the thing that you know. But you're, it's better to have like a, a, a an idea that if I kind of rise above this, that at some point you will also rise above this because the other, anything else turns into just complete destruction. Right. Like somebody has to be, that's the forgiveness point, right? Like Mm -hmm. at some point somebody has to rise above the injury. Yeah. Otherwise it's a spiral to complete destruction. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's as true in war Mm -hmm. as it is in relationship. Totally. yeah. Yeah. And you know, Love is a battleground, so it's a fair analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even like, you know, as far as victimhood goes, it's like at some point, you know, you have to be able to rise above that victimhood. It's like it doesn't it doesn't deny that you were a victim in many instances, you know, if you were actually a victim. But at some point you have to forgive so that you can move on. And the forgiveness is not for the person. It's for you. It's like in order for you to move on, you have to forgive the other person or mm-hmm. else you're just going to live in this sort of like vengeance uh, type place where um, that just kind of eats at you. So it's like sometimes even just forgiveness in itself is for it's mm-hmm. for you and not necessarily for the other person. Yeah, It's not just in the best interest of the of the multiple parties. It's in mm-hmm. your own best interest. It is. That might be something that kind of 
piece out a little bit later. Hmm. Because it is so true. It's like it's like it doesn't keep anybody from being a dickhead, but it actually frees you from their control. Hmm. Because yeah. like, hey, you know, I've forgiven you. It's like I don't have to be in a relationship with you, but I've forgiven you and I'm moving on. It's like I don't have to be in a relationship with you. You know, or it could be where it's like actually mends that relationship by that person forgiving the other person. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be careful because like I mean again, forgiveness doesn't mean that you that you trust the person. You know, but forgiveness I think helps you better see the situation outside of justice or um vengeance. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Justice was not served, but forgiveness was. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that justice doesn't doesn't need to have that. Justice does have a place, but right, right. I think only in forgiveness can you see how to how to meet out like true well, justice. Because there's a problem with justice. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really ever know if justice was done. Hmm. Interesting. How so? Well, that's why we have the court system that we have, mm-hmm. and why we respect it, because it's really hard to understand what actually happened Hmm. and what was right and what was wrong and what justice is, Hmm. you know, even if we all agree that the accused is guilty, let's say, well then what's the proper sentence? Mm -hmm. Like we don't exactly know what justice is. You know, we think we know it when we see it, Yeah, but it's hard to say what is actually just it's, but forgiveness frees you of that problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I can forgive you whether justice has been served or not. Well, so and it's not one or the other. Yeah, Just totally. to be clear. Well, it's interesting when you were saying that idea of like with, with justice, because like there's the black and white aspect that helps. It's kind of there to guide us, which are laws. But then when you talk about doling out sort of punishment, there's sort of an art to that. It's In that sense, it's sort of like, is this person truly remorseful? Like that's a question that's asked. Like that's not something you can, you can, you know, check boxes with, okay, well they cried. Okay. Check. They, they expressed remorse. Check. But it's more of like, is this, is, is this person, is this change this person? And if you could see like, if someone, you know, killed my brother, you know, and, the person was remorseful and you could tell that again, it's, it's an art that they're remorseful and that they were willing to change. They might have a different sentence than somebody who was just like, fuck that dude, you know, I'll do it again. You know, it's like that has, has a whole nother feel for it. But if you just go by the law, which is like you killed a person, therefore you die. Yeah, I mean, I'd push back on that, though. Like you said, laws are black and white. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're black and white at all. I mean, even that, like, sorry, you killed a person. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a black and white thing. Well, I think that's where the art comes in. It's like, Mm -hmm. like we we all know that. Well, Well, interpretation. Yeah, so like. The law has to be interpreted. It does have to be interpreted. That's so true. So it's like, is there a difference between killing somebody and murdering somebody? Like if you defend yourself, that would be considered killing somebody. But if you maliciously go to kill somebody, then that's called murder. So like those two things are different in my, in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
places. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, I mean, someone can die mm-hmm. and someone else can be involved in that death and it's not murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are different categories for that. And even when it seems like murder, it's not clear. Well, see, even that is like, like accidental death, like, like something happened and somebody accidentally died, you know, versus like defending yourself versus like actually going to mm-hmm. kill somebody for a certain reason. Uh, Vaclav Havel in his book, The Power of the Powerless, has mm-hmm. a, a pretty good toward the end meditation on this problem of, of laws and the interpretation of laws mm-hmm. and how we need to have laws, even though they're imperfect. And if we were to obey them to the letter without interpretation, it would be a tyrannical system that mm. would not result in any human flourishing. Yeah. Because humans can't flourish under, um, well, what is it? It's like the law does not recognize the spirit and humanity of the, of the human individual mm-hmm. yet without any laws, neither can the human flourish. So there has to be this imperfect system hmm. in which you get quotes like what's, was it Franklin who said, it's better that a thousand guilty men go free than one innocent man be convicted. Mm-hmm. Like there's a necessary, very tragic, imperfect balance that we have to live in the midst of. Because if you try to solve it in either of the two directions on the one on either side, you result in quashing the human spirit and there's no flourishing and thriving and there's no thriving. Mm -hmm. It's like, we can only thrive in the midst of a tragic situation. Mm. Essentially. It's like keeping the tension between order and chaos where like there will be, there will be some guilty that go free. Hmm. Well, shoot. What do you, what do you, how do you want to wrap this guy up? Cause we kind of start off with the confusion questions. Mm-hmm. We threw out a lot of stuff out there for everyone to, to be totally confused about. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't, I don't have a, um, no insightful, concise, encouraging final line. I don't either. I mean, I kind of, I kind of love and th- and thrive in. We, both of us kind of thrive in this because, like, we want to know, we want to understand. When there's a lot of questions, like that's something that is like, okay, well, how does this work, and how does this kind of come together? And I think you and I have, over the last couple of years, specifically with the COVID stuff, and it's like, you know, just keep questioning, you know, but also like be curious and. And sometimes open to things that you not might not normally be open to. I mm-hmm. think that's I think it's really important. But it's also really important to like, hey, once you come to a decision, good, do it. But don't require that from other people. Hmm. I think that's important. Like, allow other people to, to come to an opposite conclusion hmm. and live in that tension with and them. Live in that tension with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. There you go. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Love, Love you. Guys. Love you all out there. Definitely. Bye. I love the, I love the pause being like. <laughs> See you next time. This is me. <laughs>